Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Jenny Dearborn, who is the Executive Vice President of HR, Talent, Learning, and Leadership at this global tech giant, SAP. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you. The biggest in tech news this week is IBM's $34 billion acquisition of Red Hat. Uh, Both are ginormous companies in their own right. IBM, a large technology solution provider, and Red Hat in open source Linux. And the market is mixed on how effective this acquisition is going to be. From the IBM perspective, who actually spoke to some of the executives, uh, they believe it's very synergistic. They don't have much overlap in product. And so they want to be able to scale what we call a multi-cloud environment. And so even though they will strengthen the competition against an Amazon Web Services and OpenStack, they at the same time be complementary because they're trying to expand that. Companies might have to do um, multi-cloud environments beyond just an Amazon or an IBM or Google or Microsoft. So it'll be yet to be seen over the next couple of years on how effective the integration will be and how fast that adoption will take off. In other news, Apple's experiencing a huge slowdown in China. They only opened a handful of Apple stores and actually sales have been down. Um, the reasons why they think that is is because when Apple first came out, there was a huge competitive advantage to possibly an Android device, and so people were willing to pay the premium. Now that the feature set is seen as very competitive, uh, almost equal that the Chinese don't feel like they need to buy Apple that much. Plus, there's always been a lot of questions that Apple had around um, counterfeits, frauds, and even to the point of fake service. Um, if you have an Apple Watch and you downloaded Watch OS 5.1, you should hang on because there was a flaw in that. Apple pulled the update. So if you downloaded it, don't update your phone or your watch. And if you did, um, if you didn't, that's okay because they're just going to issue an, a new patch. And congratulations to Project Owl, the 2018 Call for Code winners. Uh, not only did they win a check for $200,000, but they also won uh, the ability to pitch to a NEA, the venture capital firm. Uh, we were at the celebration party in San Francisco this week, and I got an exclusive interview, uh, which we will air next week at this time. And that's the news of the week. Welcome back. Once again, I'm joined by Jenny Dearborn, Executive Vice President of HR, Talent, Learning, and Leadership at SAP. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And today we're going to talk about a really important topic, which is the hiring crisis in Silicon Valley. Um, You know, people think often that Silicon Valley is this mecca for tech talent, and it is, but at the same time, there's still, uh, believe it or not, a, a huge shortage of the kind of folks that we need here in the Valley and also around the world. So Jenny, thanks again for kind of carrying the flag on this. 
Absolutely. So a little more background into Jenny. Um, she leads one of the most significant tech companies in the world. There's 95,000 employees in over 160 countries and 404,000 customers. Uh, Jenny also has held similar leadership roles at HP and Sun Microsystems. So we're dealing with one of the top 50 women in technology. And once again, just thanks for being here to talk about this important topic. Absolutely. It's super important. Thanks for having me. So, Jenny, what are some of the ways that uh, Silicon Valley and beyond can actually start to address this hiring crisis? Yeah, it's a very significant challenge. Um, We cannot hire enough people with the right skills in Silicon Valley. Um, In California, across the state, there are 75,000 unfilled computer science jobs. Um, In the United States as a whole, there's 500,000 open jobs um, requiring a computer science degree out of the 7 million open jobs in the United States right now. So really all industries are converging on the same type of talent that they are looking for as every industry becomes a technology industry. Um, and, And we have more Internet of Things and connected devices in all of our appliances in our lives. Really, Every company is looking for that data scientist, that computer scientist, um, a data visualization engineer, someone to help them analyze and make sense of all of this data at their disposal. And we see that very acutely in Silicon Valley. I agree. And I think uh, part of the solution we're seeing is that SAP and a number of other uh, large peers in the technology industry, one, are reducing the requirement for a college degree. Yeah, absolutely. If you've been in Silicon Valley for a while, you remember the folklore from um, 15, 20 years ago where a lot of flagship companies like um, Google were saying, we will only hire the very best from the very best universities. And if you didn't have a resume with, uh, you know, Harvard, Stanford, Princeton on it or something like that, you know, your resume just went directly into the trash. And and to their credit, they did a lot of analysis afterwards and, sa- and said, you know, the few people that got through that were not from those flagship universities performed just as well or better. Um, and so we have eased off as a Silicon Valley community from the requirement of having that uh, four-year degree. And now we are finding, you know, the opposite end of the pendulum where we can't find enough um, talent. And we really need to look more broadly in how we source talent and really open up the top of the funnel to have more people from a greater diverse diversity of, of backgrounds and experiences be able to participate in these really great technology-based jobs. Yeah, and I think that is interesting, right? Because we're reducing that requirement for college age, which is great. But at the same time, then how do those people get the job skills they need when they're not going through college? How would they actually learn the skill set to take advantage of these openings? Well, what we found when we have done greater analysis as a as a community, um, we found that there's a lot of what we call middle skill jobs in um, in all of these technology companies. So it's more than a high school degree, but it is less than a college degree. And so we, as a technology community, we were putting that barrier um, and saying someone had to have a college degree when maybe that barrier did not need to be there in the first place. And we were using that just as a criteria 
to source out and weed out candidates and make it easier for recruiters and staffing and hiring managers. And and now what we are really finding with greater uh, analysis and sort of longevity of the data is that really it's the middle skills that are the most in need. Um, and those are great skills um, that can be learned in alternative ways. So not the traditional four-year college path way, but from a junior college, from a coding boot camp, from an apprenticeship, uh, from some really great on-the-job training. There's lots and lots of ways for people um, to be able to jump into the technology sector without having to go through that four-year traditional path. And that's a good point about the four-year traditional path. I think that for people who want a tech career, or actually any career, if we can apply this to what you said about how uh, technology skills are being uh, mandated in all fields, that knowing that there's an alternative to the four-year degree, especially with the rising costs, is going to be giving a lot of folks a lot of encouragement to still pursue that dream in a technology field. So don't go away. Once again, I'm joined by Jenny Dearborn, Executive Vice President of HR, Talent, Learning, and Leadership at SAP. And if you have any questions or comments about what you hear today on the show, email us at info at svi.biz or come to our website, svi.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Today, joined by special guest Jenny Dearborn, who is the Executive Vice President of HR, Talent, Learning, and Leadership at SAP, and also one of the top 50 women in tech. Uh, At the end of the last segment, we were just getting into a really important topic about how you can pursue a technology career even without a four-year degree. The question of the week, and I'm glad I have Jenny in studio with me, is what do you think, Jenny, will be the impact of artificial intelligence on the HR profession? We've done a series of shows on AI, and I think uh, AI can affect all types of uh, segments, including HR. I'm very excited and optimistic about AI in human resources. I see AI as really augmenting humanity and being able to allow us to be our best human selves. And so there's a lot of drudgery in in HR. There's a lot of um, paperwork and, and spreadsheet cut and paste and a lot of manual tactical tasks that anybody who's in the HR profession, you know what I'm talking about. And if you can have an AI, a chatbot, a, some sort of um, intervention to, to take that drudgery off of your plate, that frees you up to be more human, to be more of a business business partner, to be more strategic, to be able to do more coaching and mentoring and support all of the good parts of HR that are strategic and impactful to humans. And, you know, we can really take a lot of that monotony and um, and give it over to someone or a thing that does that better, which is a software program. And I think that's the same in, in a lot of functions, but it's especially true in HR. One of the really the growing fields in the future, and we talk about the future of the work, is um, roles that are very based in human skills, right? Um, coaching and mentoring and that sort of psychological connection with other people. And so one of the roles that's going to be growing is HR. 
Yeah, and I could agree with you more, and the timing's perfect. Last week, our show was on an accounting bot startup called Gapify, and they're uh, at Plug and Play, where I do some mentoring for Enterprise 2.0, these upcoming um, companies that want to address things like HR. So I asked Jotham Tai, the CEO of Gapify, was he going to go branch out beyond accounting into HR? And he said he could, but there's thousands of job tasks that even accounting has to be automated. Mm -hmm. So you can just imagine a company similar to Gapify doing this for HR as well, maybe perhaps even SAP. Maybe. So thanks again for participating in the question of the week, and it was a good question. So now we come back to the end of the last segment where we talked about it is now possible to not have a four-year degree and still get a job in technology. So the question was, well, how would somebody go about doing that? Well, there's a tremendous amount of resources available um, from different um, apprenticeship intermediaries that are working for different state organizations, government organizations, city organizations um, that you can go to and they can put you in their cohort and do um, you know a six-week boot camp of training, things like that. And then these organizations can place you in different companies. Um, that are um, looking for apprentices. You can do things on your own by going to organizations like Coursera and doing um, all of the education that you need on your own in you know all of these advanced skills. And then there's algorithms, you know, it, for example, in the product in Coursera that searches and says, "Oh, look at this one person that's taken 15 classes in artificial intelligence." They will then reference that person to a company that's looking for that that candidate and say, here's somebody who's proactively trained themselves on all of these topic areas, regardless of a college degree or not, they are demonstrating this eagerness and this hunger to learn. And that's what companies are looking for. And so uh, with that, I I can see how I know of companies that are now trying to do job matching Mm -hmm. through artificial intelligence. They're trying to um, do things like Coursera or when we talked about earlier in past shows, School 42 in Silicon Valley, where they actually give free software training, college level, gamified. So if you pass certain levels, then you can get a job at pretty much any tech company. Uh, My question I want to turn is to how do then use the HR leader? How does your team get the skills to know not to look for the college, necessarily keep the college degree as a requirement? Yeah, it's a strategic decision for an HR organization or for an executive staff to say, we are really seeing a significant talent uh, crunch. We can't find the candidates that we need. Um, Our highest in demand um, jobs, we just don't have that deep candidate pool. And so we're going to have to look more broadly. Um, A lot of companies have diversity and inclusion goals that they set for themselves. Um, And, you know, there is a certain demographic that moves forward and has a college, you know, four-year college degree. There are a lot of demographics that are left out of that process of that four-year college degree because of, you know, the prohibitive um, cost of tuition. And a lot of the third-party intermediaries that put together apprenticeship programs really focus on those underrepresented minority groups. And so it's a great way to um, really get that foot in the door at a company um, is by going through one of these intermediary groups. Um, and, And once you're in a company, 
you know, your performance is based on what you do on the job, right? You know, if you're moving from one job to the next inside of a a big company like SAP or Hewlett Packard or Cisco or whatever, you know, they're not going to keep going back to your undergraduate grades and your undergraduate major. They're going to say, well, what did you do last year in this project? Or how did you help your team, right? So once you get that foot in the door, you can demonstrate competence and do very well and move up quickly. That's great. And as a reminder, that is exactly how it happens in the corporate world. So is SAP working with one of these third-party intermediaries? We are working with several. Um, we recently hosted an apprenticeship summit for Silicon Valley. We It was the, the first ever um, summit that was uh, employer-led, right? So it was really about um, sharing best practices across companies and what all the different companies are doing. Um, our um, co-sponsors, I'll name a couple of them, Apprenti, um, which connects tech industry um, employers with diverse talent, and that's um, an, a national organization. Uh, Tech SF, which is part of the San Francisco Office of Economic and Workforce Development, that really focuses on underrepresented uh, minorities, specifically in San Francisco. Tectonica um, partners with tech companies to provide tech training um, for um, women in the Bay Area. You know, so there's those are just a couple that I know of, but there are many, and you can um, look at a, the state level and uh, the national level for ones that are near you. Okay, that sounds really exciting. So in the peer group of SAP, because I, I know that when one of you or one of us when we were at Cisco uh, did does something very successful, the others follow. Uh, exactly, even for Call for Code, which was sponsored a lot by IBM, uh, Microsoft, and Google now have similar initiatives. Are there other f- folks following your lead? There's, there's many companies that are looking at apprentices, and um, there are many companies also that have made a public statement about, you know, we no longer require a four-year college degree. Yes. Um, so that is becoming um, very much the social movement. Um, we haven't seen the metrics move that dramatically yet. We haven't seen that sort of the dial, you know, um, adjusted. Um, but a great first step is a lot of companies are being very public about um, their change in strategy. Yeah, and just to support that point, it was back in August, I believe, where 30 companies, including SAP, Microsoft, Google, and IBM, all said that college degrees were no longer a requirement, which was which was just great. So I also want to mention that Jenny is the author of The Data-Driven Leader, A Powerful Approach to Delivering Measurable Business Impact Through People Analytics, and that was published in November of 2017. And when we come back, we'll start to talk to Jenny about how those concepts in the book weave into everything throughout HR um, practice. So you're listening to Keith Koo, Silicon Valley Insider. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo, joined today by Jenny Dearborn, who's the Executive Vice President of HR, Talent, Leadership, and Learning at SAP. And also because today is Halloween, she is Marge Simpson. That is true. And you'll have to see the photo. But one anecdote, since I've talked about it in studio, is that back in the late 90s at Cisco Systems, one of our executives was related to Yearly Smith, who's the voice of Bart Simpson. So imagine getting a corporate voicemail, welcome to Cisco Systems, 
in Bart Simpson's voice. So thanks for making this day a lot brighter, Jenny. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> so this week's cyber tip, and I have a theme, right? I always talk about you need to protect yourself. It turns out that Google Home, which is like Siri or Alexa, can be bricked with one line of code. So a security researcher named Jerry Gamblin posted a set of instructions on how to do this. Now remember, white hat hackers do this in order to educate and protect you. They're not doing it for nefarious reasons. So they basically gave the instructions, which I won't read out loud on the radio. And it tells you exactly how you can do this. But I think more concerning is that beyond bricking your Google Home, which means that it doesn't work anymore, you can actually put in all kinds of other instructions and take over the device. So if you knew what you were doing, you can make it do all kinds of things. Now, this might not sound so much of a big deal if it's like telling you uh, to play different music, which I do know friends who get really upset at people during loud parties, they'll actually change their entire music list. Uh, But what if it was a pacemaker or an insulin pump? Because that's when you're really talking about some serious things. So once again, anytime you bring in a connected device, an IoT device, be sure you know why you're using it, how it's configured, and whether it's talking to anything else unexpectedly. And that's the tip of the week. So welcome back. Once again, I'm joined by Marge Simpson. I mean, Jenny Dearborn. Yes, homie. (laughs) Jenny, um, in our last segment, we were talking all about the apprenticeship program. And uh, what I wanted to ask you, though, is what are the success metrics in the apprenticeship program so far? Yeah, it's a great question and and quite inspirational, hopefully, for folks. Yeah, the success metrics are really impressive. So for the people that go through um, various apprenticeship programs, some are as short as a quarter, which is three months, some are as long as a year. Um, what is different about apprentices is that you earn and learn at the same time. So it is not an internship, um, which is sometimes uh, where you're working for free, but an apprentice on average is 35 years old. So the success metrics for apprenticeship programs are really impressive. Um, The shortest apprenticeship program is about three months. The longest is about a year. Um, For the people who graduate from the apprentice program, about 90% will get a job from their sponsoring company, which is the company where they worked for that year. Um, And the other 10% um, are picked up by one of the other companies in the apprenticeship consortium. So one of the other companies that is participating. Um, you earn and learn, so it is different than an internship, which are sometimes unpaid, and the average age for an apprentice is 35. So these are really for people who are returning to work, they're making a career shift. Um, It's entirely possible that they have a college degree, but it's in something that is non-tech related and they want to pivot into a technology-based role, or they don't have a college degree. It's just for someone who is looking to get into the industry. So it's really, really impressive. Yeah, thanks for the the detailed explanation and clarification on those success metrics. Uh, One thing I wanted to bring up, because I'm sure, uh, because we've done shows in the past about job training, job skills, is that this is a growing field that many large companies are embracing. And so it's not like there's an exact playbook. So there isn't just one company to call or one website to go to. Each company does it a little bit differently. Uh, One resource I did want to bring up is the California Apprenticeship Initiative. 
And that is where, if you go to the website, you can find more information on how to get started. Because just like we're all unique individuals, your own journey adopting an apprenticeship program will be the same way. But it's just exciting to me being in the Valley for 25 years that uh, the Valley is changing. Um, there's one thing we didn't talk about earlier when we were talking to Jenny brought up a good point that back in the dot-com days, it was very stringent requirements to get into some of what's called a unicorn today. So Google was well known for only accepting in the beginning pretty much Stanford people. I mean, not even Harvard people, it was just Stanford. And then when they, you know, quote unquote, changed their standards, it was opening up to Harvard people. Sun Microsystems, which is no longer here, but I used to do a lot of business with and Jenny used to come from, Sun stands for Stanford University Networks. And they hired, they hired me from Stanford as well. So I think the Valley's growing up, the world's growing up, competition's heating up, resources are scarce. So it's great to see from a holistic perspective that the industry's changing and that, that also then encourages more diversity and inclusion as well. If I could just add to that, it's a great time in our economy to be jumping into this because a lot of companies are experimenting and expanding their talent profile and their talent pool. Um, I don't want to spook anybody, but at you know, as the business cycle goes, when recessions come, uh, companies are going to pull in and go back to a place of of familiarity and and you know what they've always done before, and they're going to be less comfortable taking risks with different types of candidates. Um, so now is a great time to you know if you're thinking about a mid career shift or you're thinking about getting into tech, it's a great time to jump in because so many companies are so open to diverse talent and really alternative path talent. Yeah, thanks, Jenny. And so if you're listening to the conversation with Jenny, you're probably noticing that you know Jenny is an HR executive, but she's speaking the language of tech. And really what's powerful about that is in any role, being able to understand not only your own skill set, but actually being able to understand the constituents becomes um, even more valuable. And I bring that up because Jenny wrote a book in 2017 called The Data-Driven Leader, a powerful approach to delivering measurable business impact through people analytics. And if you are listening to what we've been talking about today, she's passionate about this. And this is where there is, in essence, a science um, to everything we're talking about. So Jenny, I wanted to start talking about what you wrote. Yeah, it was, it's really intended to be um, a playbook for HR professionals on how to get comfortable with data and analytics. Um, one of the reasons that propelled me to write the book is a McKinsey study from 2016 that said for the first time ever, newly appointed CHROs, so chief human resources officers, um, are not coming up through HR. So they're not you know, taking that traditional path and then becoming that top job. So people taking that top job are coming from sales or marketing or finance or operations or something else. And the number one reason why is because they don't understand data and analytics. So I really felt compelled to help my profession, help the function become more comfortable with data and analytics because it is so central to everything that we're going to be doing moving forward as human resources professionals. And I, I think what was interesting about that, because you actually use something even more specific as an anchor, which is the whole sales process. 
Yeah, absolutely. So to make it um, very grounded um, in a business process that everyone could understand, um, the book is uh, fiction. It follows um, a case study of a fictional group of characters over the course of the year when they start out in the book. Every metric in the company is a disaster. Um, Sales are down. Margins are down. Everything's bad. You know, hair on fire. And what does this group of HR professionals do throughout the course of the year? What is the day? that they gather, what questions do they ask based on that data, what inferences do they take, what is the, what is the analysis that they, um, that they glean from all of this information, um, and then how do they use that information to help turn the business around. And so how, does, um, how is sales affected when you get the right talent in place? How are margins improved when you have the right um, talent management or performance management system in place? What are the business metrics that your key clients and shareholders care about when HR does the right thing, using data and analytics, being very data-driven in their decision-making, when HR is grounded in data, how do the business metrics uh, change accordingly? So that's really the nature of the story um, in in the book. And, and with that, because I think there's a lot of both, um, we talked a little bit earlier in the show about the embracing of artificial intelligence to help the HR function. Um, is the data ever such that people will then feel a little bit uneasy that they're being measured by data? I mean, I like data a lot, but I, I can imagine if you're used to, you know, sales will pick on because they're usually seen as the lifeblood of the company. And a lot of times the stereotype is that they're um, maverick uh, professionals who are just there to close deals and they don't usually necessarily even aren't bound by exactly all the rules that they're supposed to be bound by. So how do they react to when you're, you're measuring them by data? How do employees react? Um, or salespeople or s- especially. Salespeople um, like being measured by data. It, it is, it's a comforting sort of security blanket for a sales rep and for a sales executive. They know where they stand. Um, you know, you can say early stage pipe, late stage pipe, close rate, discount rate. You know, how many SKUs did you include in your, in your build of materials? All of these things. That, that is very well known and very ingrained in the DNA of a sales professional and a sales executive. Um, which is why oftentimes sales, you know, someone in the top in sales is then moved into HR because that mindset is what's needed to think about HR processes and HR outcomes. Um, in HR, we can't just be measured by transactions or we can't just say how many people were happy. But, you know, really, what are we what are we here to achieve? We're here to align the the human capital strategy to the business strategy, and it's the people that will enable the corporation to achieve the the business objectives. So, in the sense of the book being a playbook, yes, is it only a technology company that can pick it up and implement, or pretty much any company? Really, any company can pick up this book um, and glean the key concepts from the book uh, and be able to apply to any industry and any size company too. Oh, that's interesting. Even a startup. Even a startup, right? Because if you if you start thinking about what are the what are the key metrics that I should care about in my human capital, in my people, my humans, um, and how do I start thinking about that early? Um, then a startup can doesn't need to turn the ship and make adjustments halfway through. They can start thinking about things the right way from the beginning. So I know your book, The Data-Driven Leader, A Powerful Approach to Delivering Measurable Business Impact 
to people. Analytics can be found on Amazon. Anywhere else? Uh, Barnes and Noble stores. Okay. Well, the book sounds like a playbook for the HR function in terms of adopting uh, data-driven analytics. And it's really exciting to see that all disciplines are really picking up um, on this resource. So if you have any questions or comments, email us at svin.biz, and we'll be right back to close the show. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. I've been having a very lively discussion today with Jenny Dearborn, Executive Vice President of HR Talent Leadership and Learning at SAP. Hi, Jenny. Hello. And Jenny, once again, is dressed up as Marge Simpson for Halloween. It's the most awesome costume to have a leader of HR leader of a global company to be on the show. So uh, dressed up as Marge. Thanks again. Homer! <laughs> so, you know, the show today was how Silicon Valley is opening up. And because Silicon Valley opens up, I think many other regions and industries open up as well. We talked about how due to the hiring crisis, there aren't enough tech workers to fill a half a million tech jobs, or was it 7 million tech jobs? 7 million jobs uh, across the country, uh, half a million tech jobs across the country, 75,000 tech jobs in the state of California. Yes, which is just um, a really large number. And how do you fill that? And so we talked about early in the show how apprenticeship programs and alternative programs to requiring a four-year college degree are now popping up everywhere, and that is to fill this void. And so it's never been a better time to consider that dream career in technology, if that's what you wanted to do, and you felt you were limited by not having the right credentials. And even if you had a college degree, sometimes you might have felt you had the wrong college degree. Maybe it was in something non-tech related. Um, this is now your opportunity on a merit-based system to go out and pursue that dream. Absolutely. And so we're organizations are really looking for um, diverse talent. We're looking to open up the sort of the top of the funnel to get more uh, talent into the pipeline, uh, specifically looking to historically underrepresented minority groups. Um, the the number one um, uh prior career that most apprenticeships are apprentices are coming from is hospitality. I said before the average age is um, 35. Um, and really innovation starts here in Silicon Valley. Um, and the rest of the country are, you know, they watch us, right? And they are, they scrutinize what we do. And so if we can lead here, you know, we can really make significant change across the entire country. But overall, our country is behind. There's a lot of countries that do this significantly better, um, Switzerland, Germany, et cetera. Um, so it really is time for uh, for the United States to catch up and do right by people who do not follow that traditional four-year college path. Yeah, I, I like how you mentioned that because although we're scrutinized, um, one of my mentors, Buck G from Cisco Systems, he also is very active in educating um all different types of industries around um, hiring diversity. And his take is a little bit different, which he's focusing exclusively on executive ranks, which we're not going to get too in-depth with today, other than I'll make the, the comment that over his personal research over nine years, Silicon Valley is leading the way 
at this point for women in executive ranks. And we hope to see that follow with African-Americans, Hispanics, and Asians as well, because even though there's, a, there's large groups of employees in that, it's how do we then go from first getting those jobs, getting those careers, getting the right training, and then continuing to lift, lift all boats, right? Continue to go up that stack, just like leadership is proving for women in the Valley. And even though I say that, it's still far behind. It's just that as a metric, I want to say this one more time. Silicon Valley executive women are outperforming as a group than the rest of the country, but they're still far behind. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it really is, you know, it just goes back to the the math of, of that funnel, right? So you have, um, we don't have enough uh, women interested, or excuse me, young girls interested in STEM in elementary school and high school. Uh, we see only 35% of of girls interested in STEM, which drops to 18% of girls, uh, of young women across colleges following STEM careers. And then we only see 25% um, women in entry-level tech positions, which then trickles down to only 11% of women in executive-level um, tech roles. And so the more we can widen the top of that funnel, the more will trickle through. So same thing with underrepresented minority groups. Um, we need more people engaged and in entry-level roles, which will then lead to advancements into higher-level roles. Um, the, the most likely roles that apprenticeships uh, apprentices um, take when they graduate from various programs is computer programmer, database technician, and IT project manager. So these are really great, well-paying jobs. It is. I mean, I got my start at Cisco as an IT project manager, so that's and uh, look great where you are now. I'm hosting a radio show. Go <laughs> with you Mark had a, you, you had a mid-career uh, shift. It's been an awesome shift, and that's a whole different story, which we've talked about on other shows. So, Jenny, with the one minute we have left, what would you like to leave um, today's show with? I would love to encourage people from a, a, a huge background of, of diverse perspectives to think about um, coming into the technology industry. We need you. Uh, we're desperate for your diverse perspectives and your background. Um, diversity makes us stronger. It makes us smarter. It makes us more innovative. It makes us more productive and profitable. Um, we need you. So please reach out and uh, join us in, uh, in the technology uh, function and the technology sector because it's really a ton of fun. Right. And, and the resource to do that, to reach out right now if you're in the Silicon Valley, the California Apprenticeship Initiative. Google it, look it up, because like we said before, it's all customized and individual for you, which is a great thing. So I want to just say once again how pleased I am to have Jenny Dearborn, Executive Vice President of HR, Talent, Learning, and Leadership from SAP, and the author of two books, with the latest being The Data-Driven Leader, a powerful approach to delivering measurable business impact through people analytics. Jenny, thanks for being here, and I hope to have you back again. My pleasure. Happy Halloween. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN. 